So welcome to our first uh, CMC podcast. Uh, today's uh, roundtable discussion is going to be uh, on training competencies, specifically uh, how uh, training and techniques uh, kind of merge together to determine what's appropriate for departments or teams that don't have the opportunity to train as often. And uh, we'll go ahead and we'll get started here. We'll introduce our, uh, our participants in the podcast, uh, Kelly Byrne. Hey, my name is Kelly Byrne. I'm a CMC Rescue School instructor. I'm a fireman in Washington, D.C., where I've been for, there for uh, over 20 years, uh, the past 17 at uh, Rescue 2. Prior to that, I was an airborne infantryman in the 82nd Airborne, and uh, I'm also a current Level 3 Sprat rope access technician and just a, a general uh, all-round rope and rescue geek. Uh, my name is Wayne Chapman. Um, I currently serve as a director at uh, CMC Rescue School. Uh, prior to that, I retired in uh, two years ago from the Orange County Fire Authority down in Southern California, where I spent a total of 33 years. I started as a paid-on-call back in 1985. Uh, I got hired full-time in 1989. Uh, did all sorts, but like most guys, you know, went through the ranks. I served as a paramedic. Until I figured I couldn't walk on water. Um, promoted to captain. Spent most of my career as a company officer. I uh, spent nine years in air operations on our ICS Type 2 helicopter, water dropping, night vision goggle hoist capable aircraft. Uh, and I was also a rigger on our FEMA Task Force, California Task Force 5. Uh, my name is John McKentley. I'm not a firefighter. I'm uh, technical rescue specialist with uh, as a reserve deputy with Los Angeles County Sheriff. So we're a mountain rescue team. Been doing that for 46 years. I um, am an instructor with CMC Rescue. Have been for the last 25 years. Primarily doing rope, confined space, and some specialized rescue classes that that we get uh, calls for to do. Thanks, John. And uh, I'm Doug McLemore. I'll be the moderator today. Uh, I'm a CMC rescue school instructor in both rope and confined space. I retired three years ago uh, from the Pleasant Prairie Fire and Rescue Department in southeast Wisconsin. Uh, we're a, a smaller combination department. I started as a, as a uh, fire medic there and worked my way through and retired as, as the fire chief. Uh, prior to that, I was a volunteer fire department, uh, excuse me, a volunteer uh, in a uh, in a county department that was uh, in a very rural area and then was also a uh, uh, paid-on-call member in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, which is a small tourist town in southeast Wisconsin. I also was an actively involved with the technical rescue teams in the area, uh, both in Kenosha County, Wisconsin, and in uh, Lake and McHenry County, Illinois. And what we want to do is we want to talk specifically about uh, training and techniques that are appropriate for departments or teams that don't have the opportunity to train very often. So why don't we get things started by uh, talking with them, you know, kind of the most basic of rescues, a, a top-down rescue. One thing I like to tell all uh, clients, students, is I'm a firm believer in what I call defined competencies. In other words, you have a list of required knots and skill sets that way that everybody knows what's expected of them so if it's a figure eight family of knots if you're packaging into a skid or a lsp whatever it is the employer has an expectation of the employee and the employee knows what's expected of them 
and they practice those to find skills. How do those get determined on, uh, is, it, is, it, is it based by the department and their, and their history on the kinds of rescues they do, or do they get that from somewhere else, from a standard or something like that? Yeah, in, in my experience, what I've done is typically as the class rolls on, uh, I like to have the skills written down on the board. So we'll say, hey, okay, guys, we obviously you know that a water knot is used to make an anchor out of webbing. So there's a defined competency. If you're going to use the MPD, how to rig, lower, and raise using the MPD, those become defined competencies. If you use a certain type of mechanical advantage, those are defined competencies, and so on. Absolutely. Uh, we do that, too. Where I work, we've got the defined competencies. Guys have to take a test to ride the technical rescue unit, and you get the uh, the list of competencies when you first get there and a, a information book on, on how to do it all with a you know time standard and uh, critical fails if you mess it up, similar to the Sprat standard. We've adopted some of that uh, thought process just, just into our uh, defined competencies for just the initial test and then, the, you know, ongoing proficiencies uh, would be similar to the initial test. And, and that's interesting, too, because you know, to, to train people up front is one thing, but to maintain competencies is another. So how would, how would you look at uh, the difference in these competencies for rescuer-based versus team-based for a top-down rescue? Uh, I, well, uh, so I know for, for me, we start with rescuer-based stuff. I think, uh, or excuse me, a team-based operation. Like, I think rescuer-based operations seem to be more... Um, knowledge intensive of the individual rescuer. You can do more with less, certainly, but you ha- definitely have to have a uh, a better skill set or a, a more well honed skill set before you start doing rescuer based rescues. But I think the initial uh, top down kind of rescue, we we always uh, default to a a team based operation uh, for our initial training, and then just as uh, time goes on, we start uh, adding more skills that allow the rescuer uh, a little more latitude in what they want to do on the end of the rope. So we start team-based top-down as our initial uh, start point, and then we you know, end up as a uh, rescuer-based, I think, towards the end of the, uh, the journey, if there is one. Okay. So, Wayne, what are your thoughts? So I, I guess I would subdivide that by saying, are we talking about the fire service? Or are we talking about an industrial brigade? For example, fire service... Uh, Staffing seems to be a little bit more hardy. Uh, you know, we've all done those classes at uh, uh, petrochemical plants, etc., where the midnight shift has two rescuers on duty. So, uh, rappel-based or individual-based rescues are all they can do. Uh, if they have more adequate staffing, then obviously uh, team-based becomes uh, much more safer and and easier to uh, imp- to you know, um, teach in the long run and, and keep those core skills uh, refined. So how about, John, with your mountain rescue background, how? Well, uh. Yeah, well, yeah, I was going to ask the same question when Kelly's talking because uh, coming from a, a, a robust municipal department um, and then the, the whole industry question, Wayne brought that up already, but the thing about the industry is you're a lot, you, you don't have to be everything to everybody all the time. And then we say this in confined space as well. They know all their spaces. They know their hazards. Or they know everything that's inside of the fence. And so this is where it comes up where you have, you know, petrol or chemical plant, whatever it is. 
they know what processes are going on and what's likely to happen. You know, that two-person rescue team in, in the middle of the night on some industrial plant knows their primary rescue, other than medical, of course, would be probably some sort of fall into fall protection or something like that, where an operator is going around doing their job or something where you're not going to have as likely to be as complicated. And uh, it's something that they can pre-plan where they can go, we, we have this kind of hazard and uh, you know, rescue for fall protection is the primary one in that case, uh, other than confined space or something. But um, they have a, we're talking more about rope, but they have the chance to pre-plan their operations and dial them in um, and be able to accomplish them with a short or a small staffing that uh, a fire department has to be everything to everybody everywhere and they don't have that problem. You know, they've got the they've got the the more robust rescue team, and obviously, in in the bigger municipal departments, they probably have a more robust training program. So, and you know, Kelly, someone alluded to it here too. So, Wayne, what are your thoughts on maintaining proficiency of rescuer base versus team base? Well, again, I think this goes back to me for the defined competencies. If you have a specific set of skills that every individual rescuer is required to know based on hazards at their particular facility, uh, obviously talking industrial, then those people know what's expected of them based on their particular hazards. Obviously the fire service, much more all risk, coming across a wider array, those uh, defined competencies are by far and large a bigger pot, if you will, whereas in the industrial world, what we call inside the fence, uh, they know their particular problems, where they're going to occur, and how to rig for those types of rescues. So, but I think it all goes back for me to the defined competencies. Okay, so let, let's kind of uh, switch it up then. Let's let's talk about a bottom-up rescue. You know, more you know, more kind of like a tower-type rescue. Well, Kelly, what are your thoughts there from a from a training competency standpoint? Uh, from a, so I I lean heavily on. Uh, you know, my, my rope access background for how to do bottom-up rescues. Um, you know, as long as you understand the concepts of work positioning and fall arrest, however you get to that point, be it with a, uh, you know, two-rope system and Y lanyards or Grion and Y lanyards or, you know, however you do it, uh, I think just maintaining the the concept of, of fall arrest and work positioning was is the important part for the training for us. Uh from the bottom up kind of rescue we were you know again i'm speaking from a municipal fire department standpoint uh it's just not something we do where i work that often when we've been presented with it we haven't done an outstanding job uh, or even a good job uh but it, it definitely drove home the point that we were not prepared for it uh, one because we didn't have uh you know as wayne mentions the defined competencies like I, some people been pushing for it for a while uh, and it finally bit us. Um, but you know, now it's a real problem. Like, you know, people can get stuck on towers. We didn't have the equipment, so we bought that and we've uh, updated our training program internally to account for these type of rescues and to harp a little bit on, uh, rope access techniques as they relate to you know, a municipal fire department. Like they're not, you know, not all rope access skills are appropriate or needed for every fire department but uh, certainly i think there's stuff to be learned there and we've definitely taken some of those skills and uh, have been starting to implement them so you know just picking what the 
you know, the hazards in your area. We've got a bunch of tower cranes and antennas. So we started looking at lead climbing and lowering people from those. And we needed equipment and just a better way of thinking about it. So we redefined what the, the competencies were and have been making progress on that. Okay, John, what are your thoughts? Well, I had, I had kind of a question, and, and Kelly was speaking, that came to mind to me on that. I know you're a rope access technician, and you have those skills, and so you've mentioned that, and you certainly have them. Um, is that something that you view as a, a way that uh, your department or others should be going more to that direction, or do you think that the traditional... Um, team-based training that isn't so much rope access based because there's some differences are valid. In other words, are, are you the only rope access guy in the department or are there others there and you see yourselves looking towards that for more training as a direction? Yeah. It's, uh, so we've got a few rope access guys uh, on the job where I work. Um, not as many are into it as I am. I, I don't see it as an either or situation. I see it as a, you know, in addition to like, I, I don't, you know, I don't start my guys uh, on a rescuer-based rope access type of course initially. Um, you know, we start with the, the team-based, you know, twin tension, you know, two Z-rigs, uh, litter attendant, the, the, the usual stuff. And as they get more proficient at that, we start adding a little bit of individual skills on rope, you know, ascending and descending a rope. So, uh, for instance, the, you know, department where I work, we, in our you know, uh, level one rope class, our five day rope class, we, we do ascending and descending rope access style with, you know, chest descender, handle descender, and a backup device on a separate rope. Uh, I don't know that we would use that. I don't think it's a direct translation one-to-one -one from a fire department rescue into, you know, rope access, ascending and descending. But what I think it does is gives people a better understanding of what's going on in their rope system and how they can solve problems, uh, you know, at a pretty low level themselves, you know, you, you've got nobody else but yourself when you're doing rope access stuff, you know, to solve the problem on your rope, hopefully. Uh, but it, it lets people, uh, it gives them a broader perspective of, of what's capable, you know, where I'm at, we show up with 15 technicians on a rope call. It's, it's all, it's too many <laughs> to be honest. Um, but you, you, uh, you know, to have individual skills, I, I think is important as you, uh, you know, walk down the path of being a, a rope geek like it's 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 uh it's just more tools in the toolbox it's not appropriate for everything but it, it, it sure helps when uh when it's necessary so yeah i know wayne you had talked you know in the last topic about some of the inside defense type and industrial situations so how how would that apply here well for example i just recently had a client where they do tower work and as it currently stands, they only send two people out to work on the tower. It's what, what that organization does, public or private entity. So what we came up with was uh, having the initial worker ascent climb with bypass lanyards, but he also brought the ends of both ropes with him. And he rigged those ropes up for rescue. He then came down to his position and did his work uh, then what would happen is we would simulate an incident. The worker was trained call for help via the radio system. And then um, the uh, second worker who became the rescuer climbed up the tower using his ASAP as fall arrest, got to the point, put a clutch on, rappelled down, and did a rappel-based pickoff. And the whole thing took less than five minutes because they were prepared 
for the incident, and that was uh, that ended up becoming their uh, the way they do it. And it was very quick because they took that into consideration. You know, we're talking about people that don't that rescue is not their primary job in life. And a lot of times, when people who aren't trained in rescue see things happen, they a lot of their skills uh, they've just never seen this stuff before, so they they kind of get into this panic. So having everything pre-rigged certainly helps them to have to not to remember so many things to just get that person to the ground. And let's kind of talk about too whether it be because you know, that that would be excellent if all people you know working in those scenarios could rig for rescue in advance. But unfortunately, especially like fire service based rescue, we're not going to have that luxury most of the time. So then we're, we're going to be looking at, are we going to be basing the rescue, you know, off the tower or is it going to be a ground based operation? So, you know, John, what are your thoughts about going you know, about tower versus ground based? Well, obviously if, if the, if the victim, you know, or the, the worker that you're looking at, uh, hasn't rigged for rescue, you're getting called. And if they're already set up rigged for rescue, um, you're not going to get there in time. It's going to be over, you know, which is the ideal situation. It's like you're there for medical and the rescue's already been done. And remember, in the, in the case of any of specialized rescue domain, um, they're in their environment. I mean, these guys climb towers every day or every week, whatever they do. And, um, you know, we don't, in public safety, do some of these exotic environments as often. But um, I think because we have the manpower, and it all depends on the height of the tower and things like that, there's so many variables, it's hard to say. But uh, if it's not rigged and you're starting over again, assuming an, uh, a reasonable height, and I, by that I mean like 150 feet or less, it's probably going to be faster to be ground-based for us because we're not going to have the familiarity with the climbing techniques. We might be climbing with a bypass lanyard. Um, it's easier to climb up, do a drop line, pull some pulleys up, and, and run it that way where the rescuer, you know, one individual isn't, isn't responsible for doing everything because, again, it isn't their environment, and they can, they can have both hands free, if you will. And, uh, you know, again, height, tower, there's all mm -hmm. kinds of considerations with everything, but I think generally on the public safety side, they're going to be going ground-based. Okay. So, so, Kelly, all things being equal as far as height, uh, where both are practical, do you have a preference on tower versus ground base? Uh, <clears throat> no, I think it, it, it really depends on the the guys who show up for the call. I kind of agree with John. You know, if it's a lower height, uh, you know, 150 or less is probably a good benchmark. You know, with your 400-foot ropes, you could accomplish it. Uh, bottom up is probably the way to go. You know, clip two ropes to a guy and send him up with two pulleys and just... Uh, you know, let them just set the, the high change of direction and let the ground crew do all the grunt work. Uh, you know, anything above that, you're, you're probably going to be, you know, forced by uh, necessity of rope length just, just to do a, a tower-based uh, rescue. But again, it, it depends on the guys. It depends on the training. Um, you know, b bottom up is easier for most, I, th I think, uh, for most m municipal firemen. Uh you know, a, a tower based would definitely be, you know, a, a default for, you know, a nerdy rope access guy, I think. And, and, and rightfully so to, to, you know, each one is in, in their strong suit. You're going to have less problems with a fire department guy doing ground based uh, than if you tried a, a tower based rescue, I think, for the most part. Wayne, any thoughts there as far as continued competency? 
No, I mean, I, again, I look at uh, my previous uh, fire department employer. Uh, we showed up with 18 rope technicians plus the host of various, you know, operations level folks. And uh, ground base was almost always the uh, go-to because we had 600-foot ropes. Yeah, it, it's an easy um, – yes, m- most of them probably are better ground-based and quicker and uh, safer. You know, a recent tower incident we had – the, the guys just got sucked into a ground-based rescue uh, or a ladder-based rescue. They were going to go up an aerial ladder. Like, they had all their eggs in the plan A basket. And when the ladder was, you know, 30 feet too short, they were, you know, hours behind on their plan B with no uh, set of skills even in their, you know, databanks of, of how to do a tower-based, you know, climbing rescue on this. You know, it was a massive tower, but... Um, you know, r- real big spaces between the spans. So it, it was, it was just totally outside of anybody's thought process to go do a tower based, uh, rescue on that. They, all the eggs were in the, you know, climb up an aerial ladder, set up a, you know, high point near the guy and we'll get them. But it, it, it didn't work out that yeah. way. So, you know, basically the, the rescues we've talked about, you know, up till now have been, you know, pretty straightforward, you know, like a pickoff type, you know, rescue, you're really not, using tenders you're not using a lot of patient packaging equipment or anything so if we transition over to uh, a little bit more complicated whether it be you know litter based uh, or some other type of patient packaging device where you may or may not need an attendant with uh, so starting with a lowering system uh, you know john what are your thoughts there from a training standpoint to keep people competent any preferences well, it, it comes down to you've got to train for the kind of environment that you have. And um, this is where it pretty much comes together that people are might be training for high altitude rescues and, or high angle rescues that they're never going to have. And uh, obviously, if their their rescue calls consist primarily of cars over the bank or something like that, they've got to do lowering and they may not have to do raising. It may be a matter of going lowering down the rescue or packaging the patient and then lowering them further down and getting them out that way it may involve converting to haul and bringing them back up to the roadway just you know depends on the situation but that that lower angle litter work is so different than the high angle litter work and if they're not doing that then you know practice with what you need is i guess what what it really comes down to and keeping it as simple as possible i know eventually we'll probably get into a little more on the systems now that we're talking about team-based rescue but yeah so wayne what are your thoughts um well i guess i kind of agree with john here we see we see a lot of people uh training for things they would never never do right I'm, I'm, i'm a big advocate of you know only train for the problems that you have now in the fire service those problems can be wide ranging right but if you're a fire brigade or an ert brigade at the local refinery the odds of you having some of these scenarios don't exist, but they want to practice them and they forget the skills or don't practice the skills often enough that they would have to do like rescue from fall protection. Uh, obviously I think team-based rescues are definitely uh, safer. Uh, it allows the rescuer to be hands-free to be able to do to deal with the victim, whereas uh, repel-based scenarios require that repeller to you know lock off possibly package a patient, deal with some other things. So I do prefer team-based scenarios when possible. Kelly, let's, uh, so let's uh, kind of dive a little bit more into 
uh, you know, the different uh, types of systems out there, do you have a preferred team-based system that you would use for a lowering system with you know with a uh, a patient package and a packaging device you know with or without a tender yeah our our go-to is a uh you know a litter-based operation if the, if the patient needs it like mo- more times than not uh you know we're gonna package somebody in a stokes basket um we've got the the cmc patient packaging system at, at work I, I i think it's just the you know, I hate to be a shill for it, but it's it's a it's a pretty awesome system and it's fast as all get out. So putting somebody in a Stokes basket and uh, lashing them up with that, and then you know, uh, attendant or not, uh, it really depends on the situation and the you know, I guess the consequence of uh, failure. So we or or what's going to happen to the basket? You know, we ride tower crane hooks out all the time, and we, we put an attendant on that. Um, so in a construction site, we've got the big old hammerhead tower cranes. We'll uh, put two ropes over the hook down to our Stokes basket, and we'll put the patient and an attendant there. I don't know that an attendant is, you know, ultra necessary, but like there's no risk. You're on a you know multi-ton capacity crane, so it's 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 really no big deal. Um, you know, the same building if we're going on a building downtown uh, in a city can have you know, two different needs on the front side of the building, flat glass wall or whatever. You could put a tagline from the street and pull them away. No big deal. You know, if you had to lower on the backside where there's fire escapes, you're, you're definitely going to need an attendant there. So, I mean, even the same building could have uh, different requirements, but uh, for us, it more often than not, it is a litter based operation uh, with an attendant on it. And that's definitely the way we train uh, more often than not is, uh, litter based with an attendant so uh, john what are your thoughts as far as when we kind of get into the system, traditional systems like a dedicated main slack belay versus a ttrs system um obviously that's kind of the the hot topic or subject of discussion anyway right now and we're seeing ourselves um more going to the twin tension system um our our traditional rescues are primarily vehicle-based truck cable with a rope belay. But uh, we're in the backcountry. We've been going more to twin tension systems just for ease of operation. Um, tandem pressure belays certainly are, are competent, but they can be a problem. And uh, we're blessed with MPDs and clutches now, so we can uh, very easily work with a twin tension system. It's so much easier for training and um, it's just easier for operations ourselves. So, you know, we're, we've been going to those. And there's arguments and discussions. I'm sure we'll get into some of that on one way they work and others. But uh, we see ourselves going to that from the traditional loaded main slack belay. And Wayne, from a, from a training competency standpoint, what are, what are your feelings on a traditional versus a TTRS? I definitely think that uh, TTRS is easier for uh, teams to remember. In other words, you know, we've seen it in the past where a guy will n- don't understand that, hey, yeah, you're the main line through a brake bar rack and you're a tannoprosic blade and you got to do a certain thing. Nowadays with TTRS, both lines look identical the entire time. So both people do the exact same thing. Uh, I've definitely noticed uh, in classes both uh, contract and open enrollment, a repeat versus first time, uh, customers, if you will, where people, it's easier to remember 
because each line looks exactly the same. Sometimes the only difference is the color of the rope. Kelly, what are what are your experiences and, and what have you seen on as far as uh, how many people are switching to TTRS or switching or staying with a traditional system? Uh, I mean, especially amongst you guys, I, it's no secret that I'm a, a twin tension rope system fan. Uh, but for, I, for the most part, uh, you know, going around the and, and looking at what's out there, I think most places, if they're not uh, TTRS crew already, they're certainly... Uh, looking at it, I don't think it's as controversial or as uh, unique as it, you know, was even just a few years ago uh, coming out. But I, you know, I, I got to agree with Wayne. And, and from a just a training perspective, I mean, to have the same exact device, you know, on a team-based system for, um, you know, what you would traditionally call a main line and a back, you know, belay line, you know, it's the same device. You only have to learn one skill, and it's the same device when you go to rappel as well. Like. To have one device, uh, you know, speaking of the clutch in particular, that can do all three competently and meet, you know, everybody's uh, required, you know, standards. I, I think it's it's pretty awesome, if, especially if a guy's only touching rope a couple times a year. If they're on a, you know, a rescue team at a refinery or a factory, they're they're not touching rope as often as they need to to stay ultra competent. But if you can minimize how many different items they have to touch in order to be competent. Uh, I think it's a win. Um, but again, I, I can speak to where I work. We've, you know, we've been a twin tension uh, team for a good while with the MPDs. We just switched to clutches and G11 rope uh, and, you know, small aluminum carabiners, like for a, an urban department to be using 11 mil rope and small aluminum carabiners. Like it's a, you'd, you'd think the universe is going to tear a hole in itself, but uh, we, we've managed to survive. Have you seen many people, or do you still have departments or other teams in your region that are still using, uh, you know, like a traditional RPM type system? Or are people have people switched over to newer devices like the, the clutches and MPDs? I think uh, most people have switched over to a twin tension. Uh, mostly they are uh, MPD based systems. Um, but that's, that's what I see around me. We'd, the, the mutual aid into uh, to Washington D.C., which is where I work, that it, it's we're a pretty insular department. That not many people come in, and, and we don't rare, we rarely go out, so uh, we don't have to inter. I don't get the chance to interface with other teams as much doing that in a work situation, but in a teaching environment, um, you know, you, it's. Uh, I think it's definitely uh, the scales are tilting towards uh, TTRS now. And John, one of the it kind of seems to be uh, somewhat uh, controversial, and there's definitely a lot of a lot of opinions out there in a TTRS system. Whether you have two separate teams hauling on their individual lines, or if you have one team hauling holding onto both lines. Well, what, uh, what what's your thoughts? Yeah, one one team hauling on both lines is definitely solves the problem of the ropes moving at the same speed because if the same team's pulling both ropes are naturally moving at the same speed. And that's where some of the opposition to the twin tension rope system comes. You know, for instance, if you needed a five to one to haul the, the litter on a traditional loaded main slack belay, and instead you build a three to one on each system, as soon as one team's not pulling their load, the load doesn't move because you can't do it with a three to one. And having both the teams grabbing both ropes solves that problem of coordination. 
The problem in the wilderness environment where I come from is that you can't always do that because of your anchor situation. You know, if you have big bomber anchors, either a big tree or in an urban industrial situation with perhaps a structural member of some kind, it's easy to solve. But when you're tying off to a little wimpy bush, you don't want to put all your eggs on that one. And there's where it starts to be a little bit of a coordination problem because anchors may not be right next to each other. And therefore, the teams can't always pull together. I mean, you can do some pulleys and changes directions and things like that to do it. But in a wildland environment, we're oftentimes more limited on where we have a, a hall field, if you will. And we'll usually solve the problem and be able to pull on both ropes by putting in change of direction pulleys that allow both ropes to line up. And because lots of times our hall field is right down a trail or something like that because of the, you know, the vegetation around it. I, I think if you can do it, having both ropes go together, and on the lowering system, it's the same way. That single tailor holding both ropes does coordinate things. And we don't have an issue usually. You don't have an issue with manpower for lowering. You know, somebody's working the clutches or the MPDs. Somebody else is holding the ropes. That's not a problem. Okay. Yeah. Wayne, what are your thoughts, sir? I'm, I'm obviously a, a huge advocate of uh, TTRS, especially uh, when the haul team can grab both ropes. I just I think it solves uh, all sorts of problems. Like I said, rope speed is literally identical. Um, having said that, uh, I've been quoted before as saying, never say never, never say always. And basically what I mean by that is, like John said, there are times when that can't happen. And that's when the technician needs to understand that, hey, look, you know, if this team's walking faster than that team over there, it's not quite TTRS anymore, and just to, uh, just to be aware of it. But uh, whenever possible, uh, I'm a big advocate of uh, having both ropes in the operator or operator's hands to make that speed truly match up. If I could add something to that, um, when, as we work towards this, uh, or as this became more popular, and in some industrial sites where um, you have high uh, cracking towers, distillation towers, things like that, very limited room, and also limited anchors where you can only have one anchor in, in one location by their plant rules or whatever, um, have to emphasize that the anchors or the ropes need to be connected to the same place on the load. And uh, we found this more on lowering systems with individuals where they are into fall protection mode and they insist on putting one rope to the dorsal connection and one rope to the front connection on the rescuer's harness. And when the anchors aren't in the same place and the ropes don't move at the same speed, that doesn't work. The load's going back and forth. The, the rescuer on the line is, is bobbing back and forth and you have to connect to the same place. And it isn't a technique we use, but there are some teams that connect one rope to the head of the litter and one rope to the foot. And obviously there's always going to be a coordination problem with that. And both ropes need to go to the center of the litter rig. They need to go to the same connection point on the harness. And then now something else that, that it kind of is getting thrown into the mix and, and you know, I think a great tool, but has to be used properly. And maybe Kelly, if you could address this is some of the, the, the new, uh, you know, the rope winches you know, like the, you know, the, the Harkin lockhead or others that are out there and even have the possibility of even putting, you know, a power adapter on like a, uh, you know, a, uh, a half-inch drill. What are your thoughts there, Kelly? Yeah, I, I, I don't actually have a whole ton of experience in the, in the winching for rope world. Um, I mean, I, 
I had a Skyhook winch for a couple of years, you know, personally that I, I used, uh, occasionally, um, you know, for, I think for some maybe limited manpower rescue teams, uh, they're good. Uh, again, rope access, they're awesome to get, you know, uh, people and equipment up and down you know, long spans or up, you know, cables on cable stayed bridges, uh, f- from a fire department, you know, urban rescue based, uh, standpoint, uh, I just don't have a lot of uh, perspective with them. I, I can see that they're easy to use, and you know, certainly when they're powered, it's it's way easy to use. Um, but I haven't, uh, I don't have enough experience to speak intelligently uh, one way or the other on them. Um, I mean, they're definitely popular. They're definitely out there. But uh, you know, for a limited manpower, confined space kind of team and rope access, they're you know they they can definitely prove their worth. But uh, you know, for the general rescue community. Uh, that's just switching from dedicated main, dedicated belay to a TTRS. You know, the a, a winch is a whole other uh, ball of wax to try and you know absorb. I think, and I I don't know how many teams are there yet. And um, yeah, I, I just don't have a, a whole ton of experience to be able to speak intelligently on it. Yeah, if you switch if you switch into the winch, either hand or machine powered, you're pretty much back to the loaded main slack belay again where the yeah. belayers pulling the rope up and the winch is pulling the load, they're not going to be twin tensioned. And uh, I suppose you could have two, that'd be nice, but is that really necessary? Probably not. So um, I haven't seen those being used a lot in, in the wilderness environment where I usually work. Um, cable winches and powered winches, I think seem to be a little more popular in Europe in the past. But there's all kinds of other things. There was a lot more wire wire rope being used than fabric rope and things like that. I just haven't seen it being used a lot in this country recently. So, you know, it's 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 a bunch. The mountain rescuers tend to be lightweight. Um, they might have to carry the stuff in a long distance. And uh, I got to tell you, I have one of those battery powered whole hogs, and it is a heavy beast. It's very nice. But carrying it in what might be miles is, uh, I think there's other things I'd rather be carrying lots of times. So, you know, ultimately all these, all these topics and all these techniques and all these, you know, and, and everything we've talked about really comes back to training. So, Wayne, what are, what are your thoughts? So the, a lot of teams and departments really have a hard time dedicating uh, a lot of time to training. What are your thoughts of what can they do to to uh, maximize, either maximize or increase the time that they have the opportunity to train in. Well, this is, I guess, where I'm very fortunate. Uh, my previous fire department employer uh, training was a non-issue. We we were given as much time as we needed to train. In fact, uh, we were out of service quite a bit to do it. Um, now, what helped us immensely was going from the old brake bar rack tanoprosic blade systems to the twin MPDs. Uh, what that allowed us to do was then that skill set became we, we could get rid of the Tana Project Belay, put together, even the, the rack, and move up to the MPDs, which then allowed us to move up and do spend more time doing the over-the-side things, if you will, you know, uh, pickoffs, uh, that type of stuff. Uh, industrial teams, uh, same thing. If, if they can um, use devices like Twin Tension Systems where the anchoring is always the same, MPD or a clutch or whatever they use, they can spend more time uh, 
practicing, you know, rescues from stranded pickoff pickoff rescues where you have a, a, a person to fall protection or whatever it is. But we used to see a lot of time wasted in the old days, what I call back at the anchor with people during, you know, basic, you know, uh, release hitches and all that stuff. And they could never get to the point of getting competent at the patient side. Yeah, that makes sense. Kelly, what are your thoughts? I think with the, you know, the newer items out there uh, that allow you to do a twin tension system, uh, it, it gets people trained up to see the big picture uh, much quicker rather than being focused on individual small tasks. You know, Wayne, like Wayne mentioned, the, you know, the load releasing hitch or, you know, getting, uh, you know, just a million small items right before you can, you know, turn around and see what's actually going on with your system. Uh, I think you know, th- throwing people into a twin tension uh, system environment allows them to see, you know, big picture much better, you know. So, for instance, a pickoff, you know, you uh, a team-based pickoff, rather. You lower somebody down, make your connections, raise them back up a little bit to release the weight off their system, and then lower them to the ground. You know, prior to a, you know, t- twin tension rope with, you know, something like the MPD or clutch or maestro or ID or whatever, uh, you'd be stuck lower, you know, converting from a lower to a raise with a break bar rack, a load release hitch, and then back again. That take That's a lot of individual skills to learn, you know, versus just, you know, yanking rope through a, a full efficiency pulley kind of device. I, I think it gets people to see the big picture much quicker. And it just, it spins people up to be competent rescuers much quicker. You know, the other skills are still important if you, you know, forgot your MPD or whatever back at the truck. But I think, uh, I think the devices allow for much more hands-on training and grasping what's actually going on in a system much quicker than a, a traditional, you know, dedicated main, dedicated belay system with, with all that that entails. Excellent. John, why don't you... Well, I had a couple of things uh, when Kelly just said, and I certainly don't disagree at all. Um, we're still teaching traditional systems um, in our, our beginning rope rescue technician classes because we hear more often than not as like from the department, that's what we have and that's what I'm sent here to learn. But, um, you know, with the, you know, obviously not trying to shill or anything, but people need to realize that things have changed and that, there are better ways to do it, and it is more efficient to go other ways for both training and for rescue operations. And, uh, you know, like I say, we still teach it, but I would like not to, except for the people that still say, I have to learn it, because that's what we have in our department, that's what we have in our county, our mutual aid response area, or whatever it is. Uh, be nice to get away with it. Um, my thing about the training is, and I think we've all said this one way or another earlier, is know your history and the kind of operations you're doing. And, you know, the four of us are rope geeks and we like doing all the fun stuff and a lot of people do, but I see a lot of people that spend time training and they will spend half a day or something doing a highline evolution that they don't have the conditions for in their area. And it's fun and it builds confidence and all those sorts of things, I understand those, but they really need to spend more time or probably need to spend more time stick into their basics that they have their kind of responses. And if they're low angle carryouts or something like that, I know it's kind of boring and you can't get to do all this fun stuff, but that really is something that they need to concentrate their training on and not, not doing all the big rescues and the, and the fun stuff that unfortunately they'll never have to do. That makes sense. 
Well, thank you all for your uh, participation in our first uh, inaugural uh, podcast here. And uh, there should be more of these to follow on some other uh, interesting topics.